Hi, I'm Michael Siddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. Uh, so, Nick, COVID-19 has left millions of Canadians unemployed. It's battered our GDP, but some feel it's the perfect time to shift ourselves into a green economy. We will be talking about that first. We're also going to talk about Canadians suffering financial hardship because of the border restrictions, how Canadians in general feel about the economy, and also a wee controversy post-mortem. So first, I want to begin, you did some research uh, with the University of Ottawa's Positive Energy Initiative, uh, just talking about how, uh, whether or not Canadians feel that now is actually a good opportunity uh, to create more of a green economy. Um, so w what did you learn from this? Well, you know, Michael, there's been lots of chatter as to whether this is a good time to be ambitious, that there's been a disruption in the economy, uh, that we're dealing with the pandemic and even setting those things aside, that uh, if people are driving less, if they are consuming less carbon, if carbon emissions are down, maybe this is a good time to be ambitious. And basically in this research project that we did for the University of Ottawa Positive Energy Initiative, what we ask is quite simple question. Was, is this the worst time or the best time to be ambitious in terms of addressing climate change, even if it costs jobs. Mm. And what we found was that uh, about 45% of Canadians thought that this was a good time to, to be ambitious, and about 29% didn't think that it was a good time, thought it was the worst time. But the kicker are a couple things. First of all, if you're in the prairie provinces, you're much more likely to think that this is the worst time to be ambitious when it comes to the environment. The other thing that I thought was kind of cool was that, you know, we talk about polarization in politics, ideological polarization, political mm -hmm. polarization. Just as many people, there was like a, a, a scale from zero to 10, just as many people scored a zero, which means worst time, as scored a 10 out of 10, which would be a best time. So Canadians are divided on this, but right now we're marginally tilting towards thinking that this is a good time to address climate change, even if it might be a little rough on the economic front. I find this so interesting because you you also track issues, you know, which which issues Canadians find most important, and usually uh, the environment goes up when our economy is doing okay, or if our economy is doing not so good, then less people are concerned about the environment. Yeah. But now this research that you've done, the surveys, uh, suggests that that the two are not uh, mutually incompatible, that it's not cross purposes. Uh, so. How do you treat this then as, as, a, as a federal political party when you're drafting policy? Yeah, and it's not to sound technical, it's, it's kind of like the yeah, but. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but situation would be like, uh, be ambitious on climate change. Yeah, but there's still a significant proportion of Canadians that have concerns about being ambitious right now, just because they don't think that it's a good time. You know, and uh, you know, to your point earlier, in the first three months of 2020, when we track the most important national issue of concern, the top issue of concern for about three months was the environment and it had never been consistently a top issue of concern. Mm -hmm. but that's all it took was, and you know, at that point, unemployment was down, the economy was steady, everything seemed pretty good. Fast forward and, uh, you know, with people focused on the pandemic and the economy, the environment as a top issue of concern has suffered, but it still looks like there's appetite to move forward on this. But uh, mm -hmm. I think, the key takeaway is we should be cautious. The ambition is there, but there are people that are worried about it. And, and as you said, it's incredibly divisive. Uh, is, I, I assume that's why 
we haven't heard from the prime minister or uh, conservative leader Andrew Scheer even talking about this, uh, not or for a while. I think the last Trudeau spoke about it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, our producer probably will correct me. I think is last March. A future where innovation creates good jobs for people, where we grow the economy while protecting our environment. A future where Canada is the best place in the world to invest. Yeah, and a lot of the talk has actually been focused on the carbon tax that the Liberals introduced. And that's been the, mo that's been the big tension point between the federal Conservative Party and the federal Liberal Party, the Justin Trudeau government. And also the big tension point between Premier uh, Kenny in Alberta and the federal government. So environment and climate and the economy has been framed at least by the opposition parties or the main opposition party as being about carbon taxes. But you know, the thing is, is that there's a broader discussion about attaining kind of our climate targets and managing GHG, reducing the, the carbon consumption. And I think uh, what Canadians are ready for is at least as a broadening of the discussion. But this isn't a full bright green light uh, mm -hmm. for the Liberals to be aggressive. I think something that's tempered, something that's measured, something that's seen as being balanced uh, in order to do the least amount of disruption would probably be welcome for a significant portion of the Canadians. And, and how does this speak to national unity? Because as you said, most people in the prairies uh, are not as, as gung-ho about uh, shifting to a green economy if, if it means uh, job losses in, in the oil and gas sector. Yeah, well, you know, think of it this way. You know, earlier when we were talking about the question whether it was the best or the worst time, about 29% of people in the Prairie Provinces thought it was the worst time, in Canada thought it was the worst time. That jumps up to 46% for Canadians that live in the Prairie Provinces. So picture people in the prairies yelling at their television sets. Uh, whenever they hear about something like this, because they're probably saying stuff like, we should be focused on the pandemic. We should be focused on the economy. Yes, the uh, environment is important, but uh, if you're in the prairie provinces, you're more likely to want to be uh, firmly focused on the economy and the pandemic and, uh, and to not think that this is a good time to be ambitious uh, on, the, uh, on the climate change front, especially if it has a negative impact on the economy. Now, uh, uh, keeping along this economic theme, you've also done a survey for CTV News about Canadians and how many have experienced financial hardship because of the uh, Canada-US border restrictions. So what, what did you learn from that? Well, we found out that about one out of every five Canadians report experiencing some sort of hardship as a result of the border closing. And, you know, we know that the border will remain closed at least until I believe it's around April 21st. Uh, August, <laughs> August 21st, which is in a few weeks. Yeah. Uh, and we also know from our polling that Canadians generally support the border being closed, but we should not think that there's no negative fallout from closing the border to non-essential travel. So uh, a full one out of every five Canadians report some sort of hardship because of the border being closed. And that's a, that's a significant number. So are, are Canadians still in favor of, of the border restrictions, uh, even extending it? Yeah, the polling that we've done and the polling that have been done my, by my colleagues in the research industry all point to the same thing when it comes to the border. Canadians are reticent or reluctant to, uh, to reopen the border until there's a sense that the pandemic is playing out a little better in the United States than it has been. You know, what's clear is that in the United States, there have been some flare-ups and uh, and although there are some states that kind of were quick to open up, now they're starting to close up uh, and shut down in order to fight the pandemic. 
and that's a big uh, a big cautionary flag for Canadians. So it looks like health comes first. They'd like the border to be open, but don't think that this is a good time to do that. And don't want to see the border opened until the pandemic is at least under more control in the United States. And are Canadians still um, eager to, not eager is not the right word, but but are they willing to have further lockdown measures if uh, we see a yeah. spike in cases again? Yeah, this, this is one of the numbers that actually quite popped. We uh, asked Canadians how they felt about a closure of all except non-essential businesses if there was a resurgence. And the vast majority of Canadians are actually okay uh, with kind of like a phase one scenario where everything except essential businesses remains closed. Now that's a pretty, it was it was a pretty significant proportion of Canadians. The one, I, maybe we put a little, can we put a little asterisk on the numbers? <laughs> it would be interesting. So Canadians were still receiving the CERB which were the financial stimulus to help them pay their bills. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to see if the appetite is still as strong once the government starts to uh, slow down or diminish the amount of support and stimulus that it's putting out there. So today when Canadians are still receiving a significant amount of personal help or help financial help from the federal government to pay their bills and put food on the table, uh, they're good with, the, uh, with a more aggressive shutdown. Maybe that might change if there are fewer Canadians receiving help from the federal government and uh, and they need jobs. It's interesting you, you mentioned that because we saw from Statistics Canada a slight bump in our retail figures in, in Canada. Um, uh, but some economists were, were questioning that how, how optimistic we should be because it could be people spending CERB money and not sort of their own money, if that makes sense. And yeah. and will they still be optimistic when when that program ends? Yeah, we have to be, if I could put my propeller head, uh, propeller cap <laughs> on for a sec from a math perspective. Yeah. You know, when we see things like uh, retail sales having a little bit of an increase or having an increase, or when we see that unemployment uh, is going down, mm -hmm. uh, the fact of the matter is, is if this is mathematically, if it was a swimming pool, it would be like, you know, retail sales were 10 feet underwater, now they're eight feet underwater. The fact of the matter is, is there's still uh, negative uh, and compared to the pre-pandemic, although there has been a bit of an improvement. So we have to be very careful when we see these uh, improvements. We have to take these improvements because it's good news, but it has to be, it, we have to look at the big picture and comparing where we're at today compared to the pre-pandemic world. And we're still catching up on unemployment, on jobs, on GDP, all that kind of stuff. So with all this uh, in, in consideration, what is the general economic mood uh, right now? Well, it's not as negative as it was. Uh, consumer confidence in the Bloomberg Nanos uh, Canadian Confidence Index basically fell off a cliff in March. We've seen uh, a bit of a U-shaped uh, recovery when it comes to consumer sentiment. And right now we've gone from something that is very negative we, it's like a hundred point scale where 50 is neutral. We've gone from a negative score to approaching 50, which means that we're neutral. So, uh, so we're not positive. We've been trending positively in the last number of weeks, but we're not net positive when it comes to uh, economic sentiment. And we're basically sputtering in neutral right now when it comes to consumer confidence. Um, what do you think's behind that slight bump in, in the consumer confidence index? Well, there are a number of inputs into that, but the one input that has moved the most has actually been real estate. 
Hmm. Uh, we've seen a material improvement in the proportion of Canadians that believe that the value of real estate will increase in the next six months in their neighborhoods. And uh, that's been basically driving the consumer recovery. So it makes sense because for most Canadians, their home is their most important purchase. It's their largest purchase. When they see that uh, the value of homes in their neighborhood go up, they feel good. When they see them go down, they feel a little dour. So mm -hmm. what it looks like now is that the consumer attitude, the bounce in consumer attitude, at least in the last while, although it's still neutral, the gain from negativity to neutral has been largely driven by perceptions of real estate. So we should keep an eye on those housing numbers and those real estate sale numbers to see how that pans out in the fall. Now, uh, speaking of perceptions, I'm going to completely change gears here and not and talk about the we controversy. Um, so <laughs> we saw a very rare appearance of uh, uh, the prime minister before a house committee uh, testifying about this. How did Prime Minister Justin Trudeau do? First, uh, Nick, I want to I want to run a, a quick clip uh, of that. I should have recused myself, knowing uh, the connections between my family and the perceptions around this issue. However, uh, I did not uh, intervene to make sure make this recommendation happen. Uh, when the recommendation came forward from the public service, I sent it back to the public service to say, "You really need to make sure that this is." Uh, indeed, the only organization that can deliver this program and that this is done exactly the right way. So there you go. Um, how, how do Canadians in, in, interpret this or how do they feel about uh, what the Prime Minister has said? Well, in the four weeks leading up to the Prime Minister's testimony before the Ethics Committee, the Conservatives, the Liberal support that is, was in uh, not quite a free fall, but was, it was definitely on the decline. Their 11-point gap, uh, their 11-point advantage basically uh, disappeared into a single-digit advantage. But what was clear was that, you know, we were wondering, Michael, if you remember we were, when we talked about this before, we were wondering about the risk that the prime minister might put himself in by coming before the committee. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I thought it was risky, but what they had in their back pocket that no one knew, at least no one outside of the prime minister's office knew, was this, uh, was the, the statement by the prime minister saying that he had pushed back, that he didn't accept the, recommend, the initial recommendation from the civil service that he sent it back for them to do more due diligence because they had presented a scenario which was to sole source the contract to the WE charity or to not proceed and he sent it back. And I think that little piece of information suggested that uh, for those that were trying to characterize this as some kind of shady deal for him to navigate a contract to a specific organization was not the case. Uh, that some sort of, at least from his perspective, there was some pushback. Um, that said, in, uh, in polling that we've done on this, uh, it's pretty clear that about 40% of Canadians still want a full investigation. So mm -hmm. the Prime Minister and the Liberals are not out of the woods. The fact that he did not recuse himself is still an issue. Uh, the fact that his uh, mother and brother received uh, appearance and speaking fees still remains an issue. I think the one thing that's off the table relates to his experience, his, uh, his role, with the exception of him not recusing himself and saying, hey, I need to step back from this because uh, of the support that my family has uh, provided mm -hmm. to this organization. So, uh, so yeah, so people still want a full investigation and the same polling that we did for CTV, only about 16% think that he should step down or step aside while the investigation is taking place. So. Uh, so yeah, so it looks like unless there's some kind of new revelation, 
this might just be the new normal where it's just more competitive between the liberals and the conservatives. And just uh, uh, Nick, on, on the point of the prime minister's uh, mother and brother, that was definitely a point that we saw conservative MP Pierre Polyev uh, hammering away again and again and again. Uh, let's watch a bit of that. Nobody believes you when you say you don't know how much money your family has got from the WE group. So you've had a month to look into that. You knew you were going to testify here. Again, how much money total have your brother, mother, and spouse received from this organization? How much? That information has been publicly shared, but I will highlight. Well, then tell me what mother, it is. Uh, my mother How much? has uh, has just the dollar been, figure uh, throughout her life. The dollar figure, in Prime Minister. Various ways and is uh, proud How much? of the work that she's done, and I'm proud of her. How much? Uh, I'm looking for can, a dollar figure. We can, we can get that number for you if you like. It's been in, out in the media. It's been in the media, but you don't know it. I don't have it in front of me. And quite you frankly, don't know how much your family has received from this organization, which you tried to give a half billion dollars. Really? Can I answer, Mr. Polyev? I'm waiting. You haven't done an answer so far. Let's make this the first one. Uh, so, Nick, you also surveyed uh, Canadians on, on what they thought about charities in general in, in terms of transparency and accountability. Uh, um, so what, what, what did the numbers tell you? Yeah, what, what we learned in the research that we did was that maybe the one, uh, one victim or loser in all of this might be Canada's charitable sector. Um, mm. In uh, research that we did, it suggests that upwards of eight out of every 10 Canadians agree or somewhat agree that there needs to be more transparency and accountability in the trans in the charitable sector. Uh, I think for a lot of Canadians, they're probably disappointed in what they saw with the, with the WE Charitable Trust and their explanation of events, how complicated a governance structure that they have, uh, wondering what was, what was going on. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, the thing is, is that for many Canadians, they support many good charitable organizations and causes. They want to continue to support them but when they see something like this, it just gives them a little bit of a pause. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so, you know, I think for the charitable sector, being accountable, uh, being transparent, being proactive uh, in, uh, in engaging in the public trust is going to be critical, I think, on a go-forward basis. So like, why don't we just put a, little, uh, why don't we put a little mark beside the charitable sector as a definite potential, I shouldn't say definite, a probable loser. Right. Uh, especially if there's more of a spotlight on the WE charitable organization with things that for average Canadians just might not seem, what might seem odd. Mm. And especially in a time of uh, financial hardship for so many Canadians, uh, the fallout, it just makes it even more, you know, potentially. Uh... Yeah. You know, and you know, the thing is, is that, you know, when in the polling that we did on this whole issue of should it be sole sourced or should it be competitive, mm. um, 42% of Canadians were good with having a competition and having students wait, while 34% were good with the sole source in order to quickly help. So it's not a complete, this whole narrative related to should it have been a sole source or not, it's not a slam dunk either for or against the government. That there are Canadians that do recognize that in these special circumstances, it's okay to sole source because students need help. Uh, while there's many other Canadians, about four out of every 10, that think that we should just ha have had a competition and it's okay for students to wait for that financial assistance that the government was trying to push out the door. Uh, Nick, I think we're at the, at the end of our, uh, of our episode and our final segment, your prediction for the future. So what, what do you have for us this episode? 
I think the the prediction will be uh, on the we stuff, especially that uh, in addition to the questions that the prime minister, uh, questions related to the prime minister and uh, him recusing himself and the, the role of his family, I think the big the big losers are going to be the charitable sector and also potentially the civil service, because uh, the opposition parties were basically saying, you know, we're talking about due diligence, but the government relies on the civil service to do the due diligence. And I think uh, on a go forward basis, there's probably going to be a spotlight on that. So watch out for a bit of a rough ride as uh, Canadians and the media ask questions about what type of due diligence the civil service did in this very trying time when they're trying to push these programs out the door. Well, there you have it. Nick, as always, thanks very much. Thank you. And where can we find you? You can reach me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K, Nanos, or you can get all that polling data at www.nanos.co. And I'm also on Twitter at Michael Siddle. Plus, if you want to find out more about the stories that we've covered in this episode, you can also go to ctvnews.ca. 